uh, a talk here for um, um, we'll have a talk here for about um, 25 minutes. Then we'll do some Q and A, and um, then we can see what we want to do after that. We'll end with some announcements at the end. So um, welcome. Um, so if you um, didn't um, um, see the the subject matter, that's quite all right. Um, I'll just launch into it and um, let you know that what I was going to talk about this evening has to do with patience and forbearance. Patience and forbearance, um, something that in, in difficult times, in stressful times, it seems like something that we couldn't possibly get enough of. And in fact, in um, the Buddhist canon, there's this story about patience and forbearance. And just to set the perspective of how spacious things can be is that it talks about enlightenment, where a person comes to enlightenment and the enlightenment would take the length of time that it would be for um, a bird um, that is carrying a silk scarf dangling from its beak to fly by and um, brush against the face of a giant mountain. And the time that it would take for that bird carrying that scarf to wear down that mountain, this would be the amount of time that it would take for someone to reach complete enlightenment. And you think about the, the expansiveness of that. And you could take it in a negative way and say, oh my, that, that seems impossible. And then on the other hand, you could be like, wow, that could even be done by a silk scarf. Even that little bit of motion over time could lead to the erosion of a mountain. What I want to talk about this evening is the perfection and the cultivation of patience and forbearance and how the, this is the foundation of liberation, the foundation of the liberation from suffering and how it's not at odds with fighting for justice in this world, uh, in, at, at odds for our safety or that it'll make us vulnerable to the aggression of this world, that it actually is a gateway out of suffering. So first off, um, what is patience and forbearance? Um, in the Buddhist canon, um, it, I mean, it, it's just, to me, it's amazing um, when you think about human beings, the Buddhist canon is less than, you know, 3000 years old. And um, people have been suffering for a lot longer than that. And they had been suffering enough by the time in the Indo-Gangetic plane around 2,500 years ago that people started to talk about this in the Buddhist context. And they put together these things um, that were called the um, six paramitas or the six perfections, the six ways of being. And um, they are character traits that somebody has. And they're things that we would all love to have more of. Um, generosity, patience, diligence, um, meditation, wisdom, um, medi um, morality. And the one that I'm talking about this evening is the one called patience, um, translated kashanti in the Sanskrit. And kashanti, patience and forbearance, what that is, is it something that you have? It's not something that you do. I mean, we can be patient. Like if you're a kid and it's, um, you know, your mom tells you not to scratch your uh, mosquito bite, you know, you can grin and bear it and go like, okay, I'm going to be patient and I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that. 
that's really not patience. That's just grinning and bearing it. That's forcing your, your way through it. Patience and forbearance is something that is a quality that is so helpful to being a human being that might have anxiety, that might have disturbance, that might have worry. It is actually the place of not being terribly disturbed deep down and being able to forbear. You know, it's like when you go to the, you go to the gym and on your very first day, you try to lift that 50 pound weight and you can't lift it. It overwhelms you. Maybe you can only lift it once, but that's it. Now, five years down the road, you might be able to lift a 50-pound weight, and it really doesn't overwhelm you. Now, it strains you. It's still a weight. It's still that difficult person in your life, let's say. But something deep down, it's just, I can be here with it. I might be sweating, and my muscles might be strained a little bit. But, you know, I can deal with it. And this doesn't really crush me. In fact, I can still be right here and be present, and it really isn't knocking me off my game of life the way that it would have in the very first week that I was in the gym. It's something that we have. It's not a boiling inside where I'm restraining myself. And how liberating is it if I can be calm in the eye of the storm? Not that I don't feel the pain or the disturbance of the storm. But what if deep down I feel like I have an anchor on that buoy that might be disturbed on the surface, but I actually can be with this. This is a quality that has been celebrated in Buddhism since the very beginning of this study. Forbearance and patience, the ability to be with my flaws, your flaws, the world's imperfections and to be able to still be grounded. Not that I don't feel pain. I can still remember the story of Thich Nhat Hanh when he was doing a tour of the United States during the Vietnam War. And some people were being very rude to him in one of these talks. And he walked outside and he was, you know, visibly disturbed. And one of his friends walked up to him and said, you know, but I thought you were like, this amazing teacher, and how can you be so like shaken and disturbed by these things? He said, I'm a human being. These things do happen, but deep down, did he lose his way? Did he lose, you know, I think one of the biggest um, um, encouragements I have sometime in the Buddhist practice is having something happen that does bother me. And I inherently know that five years ago, that bother would have lasted for half a day. And that is only going to ruin the next 20 minutes. There's something there that has to do with the, the half-life of bother and how it starts to dissipate and how I start to assimilate the things that are happening in my life in a way where I can function and I can be with these things as they are unfolding and to be able to forbear in difficult times. So that's a little bit about forbearance and patience and what it is, at least from the Buddhist canon. But what builds patience and forbearance? What are the activities? What are, is the view? What is the way? What is the, you know, they, they talk about learning the way of doing something. 
And many of the schools, especially in Japan and carpentry, um, you don't really even touch the tools for the first year. You just go and you watch the way, the way that the master moves and works with the tools, how they handle the tools, how they sharpen the tools, how they carry the tools, the way. Someone talked about learning everything they needed to know about carpentry by building a fence with a cowboy when they were 12. And this was in Montana. And he said the cowboy would say maybe three or four words a day. And he would go and he would repair the fence. But it was the way and it was the manner. It was the view, the attitude with which the activity was undertaken. And so the first part of what builds patience and forbearance has to do with how we view ourselves and what we expect from the world. Santi Deva, an eighth century Indian monk said, if you argue that you dislike one who speaks ill of you because he is harming living beings, why then do you feel no anger when he defames others in the same way? Is it about justice is, or is it about my pain or about my family's pain or the people that I love their pain? Is it attached to me? Or is it about humanity and humanity's suffering? Is the world happening to me? This can be a great cause of suffering in the, in the Buddhist canon, to think of suffering as something that's happened, the world is something that's happening to me. Because I am not a fixed entity. And most of what would happen to me in another setting, by the randomness of this universe, might be something totally different. But I feel the pain. And I feel the suffering because it's happening to me, to my family, to the people that I love. But what about the people that I don't love or that I'm not inclined to love? The expectation of who we are, the right view of us. I was thinking of this one time when I was on the Tassajara Road. And we have this monastery down south that has this um, mountain road. And this, um, the, the, I, I pulled the car over on this mountain road. And out of nowhere, just as normally happens on mountain roads, a little rock fall happened. And a couple of pebbles actually hit me in the back. And I, you know, whipped around to see where it was. And I understood that it was a rock fall. Now, the exact same pain might happen to me in another setting where someone throws a rock at me, and that feels totally different because of intent and about the fact that that was me. It's personal now. The exact same thing in the universe happened, but it seemed quite different. There are infinite causes and conditions for both. Why would someone throw a rock at me? 
because I was the person that was in that place at that time, or because I happened to move to that town, or because of how they were brought up, or because of the neurobiology of their grandma, or because of blah, 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 blah. The infinite things that brought that person to the place where they actually threw a rock at me is just as infinite as it is for the fact that a rock fell down the slope and hit me in the back that was random off of a rock fall. But it feels personal. And Thich Nhat Hanh very much exemplified that. It does feel that way. I'm a human being, and I've not reached enlightenment to the point where that silk scarf has worn away that entire mountain. But setting up an expectation and setting an intention to welcome advers adversity as a teacher is a very unique proposition. It's like a scientist doing an experiment. Setting up adversity as a teacher. Adversity will happen. We do not summon adversity, or at least we try not to. Adversity will come just as a rock falls down a mountain comes, or just as anger arises. No one chooses and summons the feeling, I want to feel angry. I'm sitting here on a park bench on a beautiful day, and I'm about to go meet my best friend, and we're going to sit in our favorite restaurant, and we're going to have lunch. I think I'm going to get pissed. Okay, here I go. No, no one does that. It just boils up out of the deep, dark, karmic machinations of the billions and millions of things that give me one moment of consciousness. And I inherit that in that moment. I'm constantly inheriting the universe from all the things behind me, moment by moment. It's not a project plan to arrive there. But what I do with it and how I view it and how I hold it has everything to do with what might happen next. Where I go inside when adversity happens, that affects my habit. And my habit begets my instant feeling in the future. We can actually build the view of the world, our view of the world, our expectation of the world. That can be built. And we build it each moment as things happen to us. And it's that acceptance of the universe. It's the acceptance of what's happening right now. Not approval. Not approval, but acceptance. It's a stance. It's a way of being. This is what's happening. Suzuki Roshi, the founder of this temple, said, accept everything as it is and help it to be its best. You start off with acceptance. And it's not that you don't keep going from there, but we want a pliant mind so that we can appropriately respond, so that we don't actually do harm. Because we don't see the world as it is when I am caught up in me. When I am personalizing that rock that hit me in the back on the Tassajara Road, I am not seeing the millions and billions of conditions that actually brought it to be what it was, and it was actually not personal. But in my rearview mirror, things often appear solid. And in fact, they're not so solid. 
there's a um, teacher that um, for me has always been a teacher. He was the founder of the um, school in, in psychology called Logotherapy. And um, his name is Viktor Frankl. And um, Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist and a Jew who was taken captive in World War II and spent majority of um, World War II in a concentration camp, um, many times near death. And he perfected his branch of psychology through his experience in the concentration camps of World War II. If you want to talk about something that was grossly unfair, about something that was incredibly wrong, about being captive in a place where all the people like you are being killed, that was certainly the place. And within that context, he came up with logotherapy. And he said that he realized that the last freedom that he had as an individual was how to respond to what just happened. Where he would put his mind was his last freedom. He said, we have freedom to find meaning in what we do and what we experience, or at least the stance we take when faced with a situation of unchangeable suffering, or at least the stance we take when faced with a situation of unchangeable suffering. There's incredible power in having patience and having that forbearance and not just having to grin and bear it to force your way through like the child that's trying not to scratch their mosquito bite, but to actually be that person that has that anchor. That is an incredibly powerful thing. Where I go inside when adversity arises affects my habit. And habit begets instant feeling in the future. And so we try not to think of adversity as a threat to our peace of mind, but the very means that patience is attained. Think not of adversity as a threat to our peace of mind, but the very means that patience is attained. It doesn't mean that there are situations that we need to get ourselves out of because it is too much for us. We are not bigger than everything on the planet. I am not bigger than all of my weaknesses, but we need to be smart about them. But how I hold them and how I view them, how I react to them, that has everything to do with how they will manifest in the future. And so we do this because when we have patience and forbearance, when we have that stability of mind in the storm, we learn how to respond to the people around us in an appropriate way. We know when we need to be setting a boundary and when we need to say, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not okay. And we're clear about that, or at least more clear about that. Rather than when I'm in delusion, I might be setting a boundary and it's just out of sheer fear. And I might be confining somebody around me. I might be really imposing on them, but I think I'm setting a healthy boundary because I'm acting out of fear, I'm reacting, but I'm not actually inside somebody who is settled in any sort of way. And then you can go to the opposite extreme, which we've all done, which is I will just be patient and forbearant with everyone around me. 
I will never complain and I will never set a boundary. And I will just say that you all are beautiful and whatever you do is okay. And then I can have ruinous empathy for you where I enable you to have behaviors that are not okay. And I reify things that are not healthy. Being able to have the ability to act appropriately comes from being in a place that is forbearant and is patience as a state, as a way of being, and not as something that is forced on the outside. I'm going to force myself to sit through this thing. But it's being open to what the universe is actually handing us moment by moment. And being okay with that, being okay with the science experiment or with the artistic creation unfolding and manifesting in front of us and letting it unfold and have oxygen. There was a quote one time from a woman, I don't know who she is, but her name is Julia Jonas. And she said about Zazen, going into meditation in order for it to calm me down pits me against myself. Going into meditation in order for it to calm me down pits me against myself. Going into meditation, accepting the momentary flawed state of my mind and reality and try not to change it, but to rather simply be curious about it, allows me to be present in the moment. Going into meditation, accepting the momentary flawed state of my mind and reality and not try to change it, to rather simply be curious about it, allows me to be in the present moment. And these ways of moving in the world allow us to be able to have a view that allows appropriate response, that allows us to be able to have appropriate relationships, to be able to set the appropriate boundaries with the people around us. And I ask myself, can I be with my uncertainty? Can I choose a stance of gratitude or at least openness to learning from the adversity that is my teacher? Being able to affect appropriate, not reactive change in the world, in our lives, starts with an openness to adversity as a teacher, with an unselfish intention to pack justice back into the world. So thank you all for um, listening. That's just a little bit that I prepared and thought about in regard to um, Kashanti practice. Um, 